Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm Liz Mitchell, reviving the West Baden Colored Church, a labor of love, tells the story of the first Baptist Colored Church in West Baden Springs, Indiana, from its founding and years of growth to its decline and rebirth. This documentary tells the story of the founding, growth, and decline, as my co-anchor just said, and rebirth of the First Baptist Color Church in West Baden Springs, Indiana. And one of the people who were involved in each state of the church's development, uh, we, we have several of them here today. They're telling the story because it helped preserve the legacy of a large African-American community that lived in French Lick and West Bottom Springs and who had worked at the local resorts beginning in the late 19th century. Also, the documentary tells the story of how the church, which was the cornerstone of the local African-American community, survived, flourished despite the Great Depression, floods, declining membership, and racial conflicts. Reviving the West Baton Colored Church tells the history of the church and the people who worship there, and it chronicles the challenges of the extensive restoration that took place over five years leading to its revival. After this screening, directors Elizabeth Mitchell and David Gaditis and volunteers who helped restore the church will share insights and answer questions. Joining us this evening, joining Clarence and me to preview the upcoming documentary are David Gaditis, Alan Backler, and Larry Laswell. Gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you for agreeing to do the show. Thank you. Thank you for being welcome here. To be, glad to be here. Uh, I'm and... going to start with uh, with David. Uh, David, tell us the process that you've gone through. Now, we're going to talk about pretty much the, the documentary. Um you led uh, the, the charge on this, doing the videotaping and all of that, photographs. Tell us about your process and what your thought process was from beginning to now. My process or how I got dragged into it by you. <laughs> no, we'll do that. <laughs> no, seriously, uh, you just like what we were saying earlier is that, you know, you've been talking about this project for a while. And finally, you said, hey, let's all go down to the church and check it out. And because you were all excited about it. So all of us, Larry, Alan, and I went down with you to the church. And we were like, wow, what a place. So interesting. And we went inside and there was nothing there except for some stacked up pews. And we thought, well, this is really interesting. And this is the church you want to restore. And I remember thinking, that's going to take a lot of work. And you're just like, well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So we started documenting every opportunity that we could to break away to get down there. But you were going down there all the time and you were collecting sound bites from people, recording the footage. And as we got more and more connected to it, we were like, oh, we we, we got to do a, a good job of re- 
recording the process of all the workers because they were putting in way more time than we were. So in my memory of it was that we just sort of like tagged along on a lot of trips and we just showed all these people who were volunteering all their time. And that kind of got us all involved into the spirit of the revival and the restoration. And then it was just like, well, we couldn't stop. It took a lot longer than any of us thought, but, uh, you know, that that just seems to be part of the territory. Larry and Alan, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, that was a very good uh, description, David, of what happened. Ironically, uh, years before, we have a little place, our family has a little place down that area, and years before it's all happened, I had gone by that church and, and I told my wife, I said, you know, that is amazing that that thing is still standing there. Look at it. And and you know, every time I go to West Baden in that area, I'd want to, we'd want to go by and just drive by it, not to actually do anything. So my history kind of goes back beyond even Liz's maybe in terms of actually seeing the church. And then when this opportunity came up, it was like, well, there's no, you know, there's absolutely no question that we're going to get involved in this any way we can. And so uh, we're under under her leadership and guidance. We that's what we did, and uh, it, it's a very it's so inspirational. And I'm not guys easily inspired, frankly, but this this whole story and these all the people. Uh, or just make you want to uh, rear your head up and say, okay, this is this is what it ought to all be about. This is what people ought to be doing. It's just a, it's an amazing story, and it still is. And I sometimes at night, lying awake, not being able to go to sleep for some reason or the other, I uh, think about it, and it helps. <laughs> and I totally agree about the inspirational part of this story. It was every time we there were stories to be told that were inspiring and in how people got involved and how things fell in place at the right time. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, I at first I was having trouble saying to my or understanding of, of the larger context in which the church uh, existed there and people were even thinking about it. And that, too, is fascinating, the the relationship between the church and the development of the West Baden Springs Hotel and the French Lick Hotel uh, was very interesting to hear and how the African-Americans after the Civil War moved to the area to to work at those uh, at those two hotels and how that church became the center of their activities in the community. And so it was interesting and uh, very stimulating to set the, the program program about the resurrection of the church into the broader context of the development of that region and its downfall and and its uh, future possibilities. So all of that was interesting and fascinating and well worth capturing. Yes. Clarence, you got a question? Yeah, I I wanted to follow up. Um, just curious, was the history of this church well known in the West Baden community, uh, even to this day, or was it just this, well, five or six years ago, was it just this dilapidated structure, or did people know about the history? I think very few people, Clarence, knew about the history or remembered uh, or even thought about it. You just saw this church standing on the corner um, that had not been renovated when everything else was renovated. You could see the marquee outside. Several of the residents told me they would like to change the name. Uh, They didn't like the word colored on the marquee because times have changed. And 
to get them to think about history, and this is history, um, not to be offended by it. There are offensive things, of course, that happened during history, but that's the name of that church. And whether we change the name or not, which I think uh, Reverend Turan did change the name, people still remember it as the colored church. It's been that way for 150 years, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so that's in people's thoughts and heads. Hey, turn. You know, even if you give them direction, go to CVS, go to the colored church, make a left. So that's just <laughs> the name of it. Um, but I, I think the people at the museum did a really good job of keeping artifacts and having the display there, a permanent display about the church. And that helped. And people were curious. And of course, more and more people got involved as they saw workers there restoring the church. And that really brought up the interest from everybody. This this museum you speak of, is this a museum in West Baden or is this a museum here in Bloomington? West Baden French Lick Museum. And and then also when you just determine how to tell the story, what went in what went into the consideration? How did you determine that okay, we'll start here and then we'll we'll incorporate these elements and then ultimately talk about the revival. Who made that determination and, and how'd you go about doing that? Well, Alan and Larry pretty much told me <laughs> what their thoughts were, and we went with it. So okay. Alan and they wrote the script so they can tell you that process. All right. I'd like to hear that. Go ahead, Larry. <laughs> I think all along, we, and then with David, too, we we always, over the years, and we're old people, so we know there have been a few years, that uh, stories like this always depend on people, Um uh, it, it's what people do and what who people are and what they've been through. And uh, if you don't deal with the people and their personalities, then your story probably will be not will be pretty flat. And so that's where we started uh, with a little historical background to set the stage. But it's all about the people. And fortunately, Liz had tracked down so many people and we had so many interviews and we had so many uh, stories to tell. And so the, the really the bigger job was to try to pull all these things together and make something coherent and inspirational and tell the history of the area. So, and, you know, my my particular thing was to try to personify the church building itself. It, um, throughout the video, throughout the documentary, uh, we talk about the feelings of the church. You know, we talk about the, uh, that it was a living thing. Uh, Liz, on the one of early on in the doc says, uh, when she first saw it, it looked like it, it was all dilapidated and it had its, eye, but to a point where his eyes put out, it was sort of big holes up in front. So the building itself had to be more than just a building. It had to represent people. But in and of itself, you needed to have a, a personality so people would care about it, would care that it, uh, that it, what condition it was in and what happened to it. And that's what makes the thing whole inspiring as far as I'm concerned. It, uh, here's evidence of it right here. And I, would, I, would I would like to add, this kind of gets back to your original question, was about the process. And the thing was, actually, as we were doing this whole documentary, Liz and I did these short little videos to help raise funds for the church. So Mm -hmm. the first thing we did was we did a short little video based on our first day visit. And that has the famous pages of the Bible turning and everything else. And then we did another video later that was used to help to get more funding for it, which we had talking about the volunteers and a little bit of the history. Then there was another video we did as an appreciation And all those things were done 
that you know ultimately show that there is value in the video that we were producing because that got a lot of interest from a lot of people and then you know when we finally started collecting it we you know there's two two processes that were going on simultaneously Larry and Alan were working on the history and the context of the whole thing and I was working on cutting the footage what we were getting like the first service and then the first uh, appreciation day and then some of the other things that we did so they all came together at a certain point, but they was all done in little sections at a time. But the early ones were the, the real response, right, Liz? Yes. Yeah. They we took the very first video that was made, which I is probably well, all the first three of mine had to say my favorite. The one with no voices, it was music and the pages turning. And Pastor Rose and I took that clip and went from place to the place to to banks and individuals we traveled the two of us around to raise funds and that video was so powerful just the music and the images that that got the funds rolling and then from there newspaper articles picked it up the news picked it up and different people saw and read those articles and contacted us and said how can i donate Pastor Rose came up with a dime a day idea. And that was for people that ha didn't have thousands of dollars, but they wanted to help. If one dime a day in, in one year's time, donate that. We had kids that brought in little coin purses that might have had 50 cents or a dollar. People drove by and stuck money in the door. We don't know how long that money had sat there. Nobody bothered it. We'd go down. One time David and I went down. I think a $10 bill was was in the door and it looked like it had been there for a while. It had yellowed. Um, I think that's when we came down after mm -hmm. the COVID. So that it probably sat there for a year or so. Who knows? But it, it's really been a blessing. And, and we could tell that a lot of people were inspired to save that church and bring it back to life. And they, they were inspired to do other things as well. For example, that one woman from Terre Haute who donated the window. Yes. That, uh, that's part of the church. Uh, people in the community who donated meals and food, uh, other kinds of food and drinks. So it became an inspiration to all people across the community, regardless of their racial background. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to mention the fact that um, the inspiration even began with uh, the Mr. Sinclair who owned the West Baden Hotel. He had the idea that there was a need in the black community for a church in that community. And he donated the uh, land for the for that church uh, to those folks, and they built the church. But those kinds of donations and inspiration started from the very beginning of the activity and continues right up until today. And so what we try to do in the video is capture, as everybody's been saying, as much as we looked at the construction and the function of the church, we also looked at what how people responded to the church itself and its uh, inspired people and how um, people were donating things. And I mean, how about all those people who are 
70 and 80 years old, I'm well aware of what it's like to be 70 or 80, especially 80, and yet to go down there twice a week and climb up on the scaffolds and continue to bring the walls in and put the roof on and do all the rest of it. It's just totally, it's inspiring, and it's a story of people as much as anything. And uh, that's really what got to us, is it allowed us to continue Um it's just the joy of being involved in a project like that and seeing how it inspired everybody to work so hard. Yeah. I, I wanted to follow up um, and running through my mind right now, I've been hearing uh, some of the labor of love that have, that have gone into the actual renovation. I've heard uh, some of the challenges of raising the funds, but I've not yet heard who was roused out of their sleep in the middle of the night and a voice told them, build it. How did it happen? Who got that ultimate inspiration to say, build it, I'm with you? Which one of you want to admit to that or who was it in the community? It wasn't us. That, that so, said, build it? Or to rebuild restore. it. Restore it. Restore oh. it. that happen? Well, one person that you know. Reverend Donald Griffith Sr. He's the first person that said uh, he saw that it was on the endangered list, Indiana's most endangered list. And he mentioned to Reverend Turan and Pastor Bruce Rose that, hey, we need to look at this church and try to save it. And Reverend Turan, he's the moderator. He's over Southeast District Baptist Convention of Churches, which is, I think, about 19 churches. And our church, Second Baptist Bloomington, is part of that church, along with Second Baptist Bedford. And so... Those three men went to the town board when they had a meeting and said, we're trying to save that church. We think we should do that. So for two years, that was in 2014, no one touched the, the church. There were no funds, nothing. It sat for two years. And the town board said, hey, what are you doing? What's, you know, we haven't seen any activity. Pastor Bruce Rose thought, then I I don't want to take this under my wing, but somebody's got to do it. And he volunteered to oversee because he knew at Second Baptist Bloomington, they had, uh, he had people that were in construction that he figured would know how to restore. He relied heavily on the deacons of that church, of our church, Second Baptist Bloomington, uh, with their work knowledge. And they knew uh, there were people who tried, who thought about bringing in those, the walls, they were serpentine. They didn't have the knowledge. And so when these old guys showed up and they go, piece <laughs> of cake. <laughs> so now, we captured all of that in our videotaping, all of that. I remember uh, interviewing those old guys and I'm going to tell them <laughs> that you called them old guys. <laughs> Uh, they'll be by to have a little conversation with you, but, but we need to ID so our listeners know, know, know what going, knows what going, what is going on. Excuse me. Uh, we're having a conversation about the reviving of the West Bain Colored Church documentary. Uh, we have with us David Gaditis, Alan Backler, and Larry Lasbo, along with my wonderful co-host, uh, Liz Mitchell. Uh, there will be a documentary showing in two places. The first on August the 20th at the West Bond Hotel, which is a Sunday at 4 o'clock p.m. And then the next week at 3 p.m. on Sunday, August the 27th, there will be a showing at the Monroe County Public Library. Now, both showings are free and open to the public. Um, and thank you, 
for that that history as far as what was that that singular moment or it was actually I guess a compilation of different moments but something had to get the ball rolling and I clearly hear that there was inspiration from different corners mm-hmm. along with Mr. Sinclair uh, who initially bought the land way back when were you able to incorporate any of the descendants of the parishioners in this documentary uh, or any of the town folk uh, who had relatives who remember and told them stories about it. So mm-hmm. how did that, how is that shown in your documentary? Yes. yes, yes. We don't want to give too much away, but yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, All right. Yeah, no, there's, so, there's, okay. I'm, I'm going points. to, I'm going to press you. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> well, in part so, of my research, Clarence, I, I did a genealogy with a friend who loves doing genealogy and we found uh, descendants of uh, two or three of the church members. Oh, One okay. family uh, came as a group. They were super excited excited to come. And okay. we've become really good friends. And we talk every week uh, through email. And so uh, to me, it was interesting to hear how these people come up from the South, migrated here, education and religion was really important to them. Mm-hmm. And in one of the census records, all of the black people could read and write because it asked that question and none of the white people could. And I thought that was really interesting. The mm-hmm. highly educated people, um, and then they come up here and had really good jobs uh, at the resorts. And of course, during segregation, you were entrepreneurs. So a lot of them had their own businesses. And we were lucky that some lady had found a bunch of pictures and uh, we could see how well-dressed they were. Is is there any evidence that um, former heavyweight boxing champion Joe Lewis and Madam C.J. Walker ever attended this church? Joe, Joe Lewis was there. I heard um, that he even owned, was part owner of the Wadi Hotel. Whether that's true or not, I haven't confirmed that, but he was there every spring for training with um, the second owner of the Wadi Hotel. His name was Artie Smith. And we met people who knew him uh, that are still living today and they live in Bedford. He would come up to Bedford. He was a volunteer fireman. His history is uh, interesting too. He's a trainer in boxing and Joe Lewis would come and stay with him. I heard he would take a, a nap and Artie would charge people 50 cents. He'd open up the bedroom door to let people look at Joe Lewis. I didn't know that. We could have put that in our bedroom. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that either. Yeah, yeah. Somebody told me that. I just thought about that. But Artie, was a, he was something else anyway. But it was interesting uh, to hear the different stories about the individuals. And then when I when we came across all these pictures, I go, ah, okay, that's Solomon. And and here's uh, one guy that was everybody loved, Yarmouth Wigington. Uh, they hear stories about him and everything he did for the community. Then the family, the descendants that came, their grandfather worked at the hotel, couldn't stay there, but he was part owner of the baseball team. And he was called chief because he was the head, uh, what is it, waiter. Uh, so, uh, you know, there were so many interesting stories. What was difficult was to say, we got, we can't tell everything. What are we going to leave out? And what are we going to tell? Um, gentlemen, you want to piggyback on what Liz just shared? Oh, I, I just liked uh, with Catherine, Catherine Peacock, right, Liz? Yeah. That was her name. yeah. When she was saying, I got to go find the house 
that my parents lived in. And uh, we were traipsing around West Baden, going up these steep hills, trying to find the Overlook Cottage. And that was kind of a fun little, you know, field trip. Where was this house? And she said, I'd seen pictures of it and it was beautiful. So we're like, I don't think there's anything that matches that. And we kept finding, looking, and then by her description, we figured out what house it was. And it didn't look anything like what she had described or what she had seen. But we did find the house and we talked to the guy who was restoring that house. And he said, yes, yes, that is the house that her parents and her grandparents were there and all that. And so it was, it was that was a pretty cool day. We had a lot of fun with them and they, they were just regaling all the <laughs> things that they had heard down generation from generation so that was a that was a fun day i think it was interesting that so many of the current residents there were and so into this thing they would we so many we interviewed they they all had stories they all told these things with such emotion and such by you know this that uh and they, their appreciation if that's the right word liz i don't know for what what the church second Baptist was doing there, but they were all just proud because they were so, so scared that they, that they, nothing was going to be done about this church. They had tried the West Bay historical society and they couldn't pull it off. And it ended up with the second Baptist church in Bloomington. And they pulled it off. I tell you. And the thing is that you, but the people just talked to us and they were so into it. To in our interviews, that's what, I, what still and, strikes me. And this was just people on the street who were not involved with the construction, but were so pleased to see that the church was being was yeah. being redone, and that, the role that it would play in the community again. I think there was fear of retribution from above. If they don't get this <laughs> church done, the whole dang community is going to pay for it. So you better get it done. <laughs> I don't know either. Well, you know, this is this is truly fascinating. I, um, I I'm just curious to know that as you talk to the towns folks and and they saw, you know, people on scaffolds uh, restoring and, and refabricating and installing a beautiful stained glass window and and I wonder if it caught fire in the community and people just start turning out in droves to lend a hand or a hammer or whatever. Was that the effect that occurred? Yeah, we had quite a few volunteers when the restoration started, but it went on for six years. So the help kind of dwindled and you ended up with about six faithful volunteers that never missed a beat and was there. But yeah, initially there were quite town folk in the, the other churches in the Southeast District participated. And then of course that that helped kind of waned a little bit because you know we paid for our own gas right right. and uh luckily once a week we had someone give us a little voucher to get something to eat at mcdonald's but most of the time uh you know we went down twice a week so at least once a week you paid for your food and you know a trip down and a trip back four trips and your dime on gas and gas prices kept going up but that didn't put a uh, a dark cloud over anybody's spirit. There was uh, the camaraderie there. For me, it was, um, since I grew up with six brothers and no sisters, 
it was great. It just took me back to my youth, uh, teasing each other, laughing, uh, playing music. We, for a second there, we got away with playing old school R&B. <laughs> one of the deacons was upset about that. <laughs> so we listened to some good gospel. Foot stomping gospel music. <laughs> but it was also interesting that people would continually come by to see what kind of progress was being made. Yeah, and we always were, had company. And we all and we were able to capture some of those. Yeah. There was uh, one individual who came by in a truck and he was just amazed by the progress that was being made. And he talked about his next visit. And then uh, we have in the video a woman who, every time she comes to West Baden, would come up and take a picture of the church to see what kind of progress is being made. And she, uh, and, and those were not the only people of that sort, but we were able to capture those folks. Um, one day, a man came by and he stood outside and he was hesitant. He didn't know whether he could come in or not. And I was headed out the back door down the AV ramp and I said, can I help you? And he said, I was raised here in West Baden and I stayed in the parsonage. The church and the people in this church, the colored people, let my family stay in the parsonage free. We survived because of their kindness. Can I come in and see the church? I went down and grabbed that man's hand and <laughs> walked him up to, he was from San Diego, California had come back to visit and brought his wife to show her where he grew up and told us that story, how he couldn't have made it. His father died, uh, left his mother with a, quite a few kids, and they were destitute. And it was from that African-American community that saved him. And so that was that just brought tears to my eyes. And he was so happy to see that that church was being renovated. And he said they had to clean that church. He was a little kid and he'd go over once a week and clean that church so that they had a house to stay in. And there were yeah. lots of people, too, who were just amazed by the music and yeah. they would stand outside and listen to the music. In fact, we have an interview from one person who uh, was just taken by the music and you know, he felt like the whole building was rocking, but he would stand outside the church and, and enjoy the service. So, so this wasn't the R&B renditions. This, this was the uh, gospel. Uh, this was... Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure, certainly. Um, you, you know, I... Well, the impact coast-to-coast, coast, you know, people that have once... Yeah, relatives that have once attended there and important in the community that know well about this church... You can't help but think this was all divinely inspired. And mm -hmm. um, this is this story is going to live on in perpetuity because of your willingness to sacrifice um and to to spend that last dime or dollar on, on a gas tank or gas. Uh, but yet it, through your sweat equity, you've put together a beautiful uh, edifice. And for those who are listening, give us a day or so and in our homepage. Uh, we're going to have a before and after photo of the church. It's stunning. It's just stunning. And I'm thinking that um, for the price of a half, not even a half ticket gas, maybe a quarter ticket gas, take the family down to West uh, Baden, take them out to dinner, and then go tour the church. 
uh, see see what's going on. Just drive around the community and then envision what it must have been like uh, decades ago. Uh, are there tours available? And I guess we probably have to ask the current pastor who's pastoring there. But are there, is there a willingness to to let tours go on in that edifice? Well, unfortunately, Liz would have an answer to that. Yeah, but Not yeah, unfortunately, I, think, I mean, she's she's. And close contact. Yeah, she's in more. But that could be phenomenal. And also the museum. Um, you mentioned that they had taken careful pains to include the history of the church in the museum. Um, and I and I I know they're going to embrace this documentary, and I know that that's going to find a home, and it's going to be an educational tool in the schools and in other uh, communities around West Baden. Now, a big question. The Heartland Film Festival is well known. Are there plans to enter this uh, into that festival for competition's sake or other film festivals? Uh, yeah, we've entered it into Heartland Film Festival. We'll know in about a month's time or three weeks whether it's going to be part of the selection of screen programs. We're hoping it is. It's, it's an Indiana story if there ever was one. And we think it's pretty good. It, it has its moments of where I think the audience will respond to it. So that's our hope. There's no guarantees with that. Uh, we're also in conversations with WTIU locally to have it on the air here. And uh, we're in that process. I have a feeling that it may get delayed until Black History Month next year, but we'll see. Uh, but the uh, we're talking about other festivals. We haven't really decided on what yet, but we, we definitely think it has the best home in Heartland. That's yeah. that's you know where we've had success with the Marvin Chandler program. If you go back in time, and and we like like the vibe of the Heartland Film Festival. What about the news outlets in Indianapolis? Uh, any success with any of them picking this up? Um, I've contacted them because uh, one person in particular has been following the story, so um, they're they've all been invited to come to the documentary. I'm thinking it's going to be a packed house. So if you're interested in seeing this film uh get there early you got two chances to see it free and um i would get there early to get a seat or put pressure on tiu to show it off <laughs> <laughs> yeah sooner than later yeah yeah <laughs> uh you know funding is always a challenge it is what other challenges did you experience i know that your heart your heart sunk or those that were actually doing the refurbishing when you dug into the foundation and found uh, the Nile River down there or something because the water <laughs> had totally damaged uh, the foundation. But but someone said, no, let, let's keep going or let's keep building or let's keep, you know, restoring. What went through your minds when you maybe tore some floorboards away and, and saw all this water? Well, that happens every spring. That whole area floods every spring. Okay. Uh, one of the worst flooding I've seen since the restoration started, um, I can't remember what year we were into it, the water had gotten up to the third step. Now, when you come to see the documentary, you will see what the basement looks like from floor to ceiling. That meant you could, it was way over your head, Clarence, mm. amount of water that, that was down in that basement. After I saw that flooding, I never went down there again. And David was teasing me. <laughs> <laughs> before then i'd go down no problem but after seeing that amount of water i didn't have the desire to go back down into the basement huh. i wish there was a way to dry it out because i can envision 
putting computers that down there, if it was ever possible, it may never be possible. And having what I call the Joe Lewis uh, room for um, genealogy and to make use of it, because it's a great space, it just fills with water. And like I said, that whole area has a problem with flooding. Well, it is on a floodplain. Right. Actually, the whole area is on a floodplain. And so flooding was a problem from the very, from day one. And uh, when the visitors came back, they used to, they would talk about uh, sometimes the water was so high that they couldn't have the service. They'd have to go to somebody's house to do it. So that was one kind of issue. The Another kind of issue was simply money, getting money together to, to uh, restore the building. And there's a, a very uh, interesting story in the video itself about one day when they actually ran out of money and uh, Reverend Rose. Okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to tell it. Larry doesn't want to tell it. Give it all away. But anyway, oh, but give, us, give us a teaser. Give us a teaser. We're able to overcome that. Yeah, we, there were many issues that we talk about. We talk about the good, bad, and the ugly in this documentary. Um, yeah. And so you'll get to see our, uh, and hear about our lowest points and our highest points about the restoration of this church. Okay. Uh, what's next? Uh, what's next on the horizon uh, in promotion of this documentary? Or, or it, will there be a part two? Or what are you, what are you feeling? Uh, hmm. um, I don't see a part two coming up. Um, we're pretty busy with, with other things. We each have our own up projects going on. Um, uh, the fellows who I call the fellows, David, Alan, and Larry, they are working on something about the Civil War. Um, I'm interested in doing a little bit of piece on um, affirmative action state troopers. I thought about this a year ago, and now that they're doing away with the affirmative action, I think it's important to tell the story that um, the state police wouldn't have black state troopers if it went for the affirmative action. And one of those troopers was my husband. He would not have gotten hired had it not been for that lawsuit. So, you know, there's other stories out there to tell. And a lot of my research will be available to the public at the French Lick Library. I'm going to donate all of my paperwork to them. And once again, if you just joined us, uh, we're having an enlightening conversation with members of the Reviving the West Bay Colored Church documentary team, uh, David Goditis, Alan Backler, and Larry Laswell, along with our co-host, Liz Mitchell. Uh, again, two opportunities to see this documentary uh, beginning at four o'clock on Sunday, August the 20th at the West Bond Hotel, and the next week at three o'clock p.m. on Sunday, August the 27th at the Monroe County Public Library. Best of all, both showings are free to the public. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. And also, as I mentioned earlier, we will have images both before and after of the uh, church on our Bring It On web site. You can visit there. Give us a day or so to get that up there. And you can see for yourself uh, what beautiful work this uh, the, the restoration team has put in and putting this grand structure. I'm looking at a photo as I say this, and it's just just totally beautiful. Plan a family trip 
down to West Bond, taking a meal, and definitely tour the facility. Now, Liz, I'd asked earlier about our tours available. Uh, with the current pastor, perhaps allow groups to come through there. And if, and if so, how how could our listeners go about finding out? Uh, there's a, a Facebook page you can contact um, Pastor Pendergrass. He's the cousin of the famous singer, Teddy Pender- Pendergrass. So that's who is preaching down there. He's very energetic, um, personable person. He would love to meet with people and show them the church. Services are held every Sunday at 11 o'clock. So he would welcome you to come to church. Everybody's welcome. Now the sign says color, that's history. It doesn't matter. 11 o'clock on Sunday, make your way down there to see the services. You know that uh, Teddy Pendergrass sidebar, that's a whole nother show. You know that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, Liz, um, Liz, do you want to talk about it being a location for that film that was shot recently? The church is. Oh, alone. yeah. I, you know what? I think uh, it's been in a couple of films. There was another film done, was it a year or so ago? And there was a book written about it. So I think there's a shot or two of the church in that. I can't think of the name. Something about Cold River or Oh, that's Caritas. Yes. Am I right, Alan? Yeah. I don't I don't know how the church plays a role in it, but I guess uh, it's just a few shots. Mm-hmm. But just recently I was down there and uh there was some filming going on inside the church, and that was pretty exciting to sit and be uh an extra in that. My husband and I went <laughs> to to participate in that so there you know and i'm sure that in the future that church will you'll see quite a bit of that church i think we'll start negotiating location fees frankly yeah yeah (laughs) you know i want to get back to the challenges uh, of that time back when this church was uh had just been built and had a thriving congregation people coming up visiting or, or re, you know, relocating to this area of the state. But you also had the emergence of the Ku, Ku, Ku Klux Klan, rather, KKK. Uh, did they have a negative impact and just their survivability? Were there threats? Uh, what type of challenges did the parishioners have? Or are, are you going to say, wait and see the documentary on that? You, you got to tell me something <laughs> out. That's what now, I would see, say, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't, don't give it away, Liz. Okay, okay. I just have to say this, uh, Clarence. We're in Indiana. Indiana was yeah. the hotbed of the Klan. So I'll but leave it at that. The, the white hoods. The white, white that, hoods. The white caps. Yeah, the white caps. White caps. White yeah. Caps. yeah. So, yeah, there's a little bit of everything uh, in the document. We We tried to cover as much as we could. The documentary is 56 minutes. And like I said, we have <laughs> trying to decide, uh, you know, what stories to tell. There was a lot of great stories. We, we just didn't have time to tell. And that was that was probably the most difficult decision making is, you know, and then we, we, were, we did too much initially and then had to cut out. Take that out. Take that out. <laughs> and. <laughs> And that was uh, some lively conversations on what to keep and what to get rid of. Uh, was there was there a parsonage with this church? Yes. 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 Now, is it was that restored or is that gone into history? No, I is want there... everybody to know this is it for Orange County, the only okay. structure pertaining to 
a large, thriving African-American community in the whole county. Everything else is gone except this church. What about the the parsonage burned down, though, didn't it? Yeah, it's not there. And the other church, black church is gone, too. They had an AME church there. The Wadi Hotel. It's gone. It burnt. Yeah, it's gone. Now, now, when you say burnt in context of not answering my KKK question, uh, that raises up questions in my mind. So we'll just have to wait for the documentary to find you have out. To wait for the documentary. Wait for the documentary. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, I tell you. Yeah. Well, the church survived. Yes. The church and survived. doesn't it make you wonder? That was our everybody's question. This church no. is still standing there, huh? No. Something about the gates of hell, huh? <laughs> so I'd um, like to I'd like to ask uh Larry, Alan, and David, out of this process that w- we've gone through, what was a high point for you, Alan? And I want each one of you to tell our listening audience. One of the high points high for point all these years, because we spent years together on this. I think that one of the high points for me was an interview we did with uh Ron Williams, who's died after the program was done. But he was the uh, leader of the workers from the Second Baptist Church in Bloomington. And we were able to capture a portion of um, what are we were able to include a portion of what his speech uh, in the video and what he was saying. And he was crying. And frankly, I was crying when I listened to it. He was saying that he begged God for one more opportunity to do a social service project. And then he realized that that social service project was the uh, redoing of the, of the colored church. And for me, that, that set it all for the whole program of everybody being so involved, so inspired so willing to work and so pleased with the result of the entire project. Mm-hmm. Larry, for you, the high point. Well, I would agree with everything Alan said that Ron, Ron Williams thing still gets to me when I watch it or even think about it sometimes. And there are others too that, that you feel that way about. Um, I, I think that what I really... And David did most of this, all this to make it work, is uh, is the music. Uh, the music, he, not Teddy Pendergrass, but the <laughs> the music we were actually using <laughs> is, I, this really ties the whole thing together. Of course, the visuals do too, and the narration, and the what the people, the interviews, and all that. But the music is just, <clears throat> makes the whole thing in many ways come together. And uh, I, I just, uh, the whole thing, it's hard to look at it, to, for me to look at it in pieces. I would have to think about it as a whole. And uh, it, it uh, and Leah's bless her heart, I love her. Well, for me, the highlight would be, was the bulk of the shooting was finished almost two years ago. <laughs> and between that point, once we finished the first service, I go, okay, I know we have captured enough to tell a really good program, to tell a really good story about it. Then there's a process of putting it together. And in my mind, basically recording it was like, oh, this is all like, it's like finding gold, but you 
you haven't has been refined or diamonds. It's just like you know it's there, but how's it going to be put into shape? Yeah. So that was a year and a half, thousand, well over a thousand hours went into that. So for me, the highlight was when I finished the last montage action sequence of the project. <laughs> because up until then, and there were points where I, I felt just like the workers did, is this ever going to get done? Is this ever, is there actually going to be a program here? I mean, it's the, the, the footage was there, but to actually put it together, you know, it's like everybody could see, oh, this church could be restored. Yeah, but how do you get there? How do you get the funds? How do you get the workers? How do you get all that stuff? So there's this huge amount of work. And once we once the last montage sequence got cut, I go, now I can refine it and it can be shaped and it'll be working. But until then, I actually was wondering if I would die before this thing would be finished. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally thought it would be the end of my life. And then it's okay, I'm still alive. But it was it there was so much work. You look at it and you say, this has the potential to be great, but how do you get there? Yeah. And that, that, that to me, until we had it really roughed out, I didn't know if it would ever happen, actually. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we did. We got done. Well, and David's house became like a second home to me, Clarence. I spent so much time sitting next to David, barefoot. I mean, some, <laughs> was, some months, seven days a week. And you know, you know, I think we have the elements. It. We have an element, the elements of for another show. Yeah. But go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, and even Jim now he he misses, he goes, Are you going to David's? If not, <laughs> please get out of here and go to David so I can have peace and quiet. Well, you know, projects like this uh make longtime, lifetime friends. Uh, oh. because you all are you know, just forever linked together um, around this project. I'm looking at a document where I see that the IU African American Choral Ensemble, directed by the eminent Raymond Wise, performed at the church's reopening service in October. And you spoke of music a little while ago. And I know Dr. Wise, uh, they put on a, an excellent performance. What was that moment like? Were the windows open? Did the community hear? Did the community start gathering around the so building? It was a packed or, or, church. It was a packed, it was a packed church. church. It was rocking. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And they marched in. The other church was packed. When I uh, asked them to go, uh, ACE, African American Choral Ensemble, uh, <laughs> they didn't hesitate, didn't think about it. Yes, we want to go see this historic church. We want to perform there. Uh, people were driving by looking because the doors were open. And before they came in, they were all standing outside. And, you know, like I said, anytime we're there, we have company. So people would stop by and, and come in and there was not an empty seat in the church. Wonderful. Two things, two things. Please um, submit this to PBS with the hopes that they will pick up this documentary because I've seen a lot of their documentaries along projects similar to this. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that they would be best served if they pick this up. And then the second thing, of course, um, keep hammering away at Indiana local news networks uh, to bring this thing to life because you have a diamond here. You know, whenever we can preserve history and tell the story, 
And it's best that we tell the story in this age of anti quote unquote wokeism, whatever that's defined as being, you have an opportunity to tell the truth. And no matter how people try to hide history, here it is. And also try to get it on the National Historic Register. Uh, do those two things, and I think you'll be well served. Yeah, it's on the Historic Register, the National Historic Register. Okay. Yeah. Now work on PBS. Yeah, we'll work on PBS. <laughs> and anything we can do to help you do that, let us yeah. know. Yeah. I talked about the uh, camaraderie of the workers. Um, you know, I have to say, uh, and and I've said this publicly before, I I love Larry, David, and Alan with my whole heart and soul. These guys for years have been telling stories about the African-American culture and experience, but they're just great men, great guys. And I just, if you had told me when I was 20 years old that I would have white friends, white male friends, I would go, oh, you must be crazy. But it's more than a friendship for me I actually love these guys. Now, you know, I love my husband. He's number one. But these guys fall in. They're they're all number twos. No, no, wait a minute. I thought you, you had a place for me in your heart. Oh, oh yeah. You really like <laughs> she got, she got oh, a big heart. somewhere. Yeah. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to Bring It On today. We're going to end addition. the show early. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble uh, with all my other boyfriends. <laughs> well, you keep baking good cakes. I, I think you'll salvage relationships there. <laughs> uh, so I think we've covered just about everything. Before we land this plane, uh, let's go around one more time. One last thing that we've not talked about that you feel is important for our listening audience to know. And uh, we'll start with Alan and Larry and then work our way to David. And then Liz, you can have a final say on that. Okay. I miss the final final word that hasn't been final word or two that's not been mentioned or some point. No. <laughs> I don't know of anything. I I think we've covered as far as I can tell without seeing it. It's uh, and I hope people do. It just it's been a good experience for I think Liz says for her. I think it has for all of us. Uh, David and Liz certainly did the bulk of the work on this. Uh, and, and, and I was, you know, part of the process, my personally, but uh, it, none of us feel, I think all of us take ownership proudly of what we have here and ownership in a, not an ownership way and as actually belonging to us, but in, in terms of what it's come out to be. And, uh, the word, the word inspiring keeps coming up and I can't think of any better word. And I, I would suggest that if, if, you, if you can watch this, keep a dry eye and not be inspired, you better check your heart. Alan? Well, I, I would say that uh, for me, meeting all of the people who are actually involved in the restoration, the workers, Reverend Rose, uh, everyone who is involved, totally in Again, the word inspiring comes to mind because they are so dedicated to what they're doing and uh, are doing something that's so magnificent for the community. It's just been uh, a fantastic experience to be involved in this project. 
And, you know, we've been working for 40 years. So to say that and to really be impressed by what happened and to have an impact on us is just fantastic. Thank you. Well, the thing I would say, and this is, it's a cliche, but it's part of the title. Liz always referred to this project as a labor of love. And I go, it's a cliche, but yet it is so appropriate. It's appropriate in terms of the original church building, in terms of the restoration of the church, and also the creation of this video, this documentary. Labor of love. It, yeah, that term keeps coming up and you go, yeah, 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 I've heard it before, but it really does fit. Yeah. Liz, um, after your com comments, go ahead and take us out. All righty. I just want to say how proud I am to be a member of Second Baptist Church, that they took this restoration under their wing. I'm very proud of Pastor Bruce Rose. Uh, he, you know, driving all over everywhere, talking to people, uh, getting help. Uh, it just wouldn't have happened without his leadership. And of course, the, the volunteers, just so proud of them. And I'm grateful, so grateful to uh, have Alan, Larry, and David in my life. And with that being said, our thanks to members of the Reviving the West Baden Colored Church documentary, David Goditis, Alan Backler, and Larry Laswell for joining us this evening to preview the upcoming documentary that is set to air at 4 p.m. on Sunday, August 20th at the West Baden Hotel and at 3 p.m. on Sunday, August 27th at the Monroe County Public Library. Both showings are free to the public. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bring it on. Executive producer is none other than Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is myself, Liz Mitchell. Show consultant and WFHB News Department director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal Lafontant. Original theme music was created by Jamal Ephraim with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.